My name is Al Pino. I have the privilege of being one of the two pastors. You met Corey on the front end. And my great joy this morning is to introduce to you our friend who will be sharing with us the fourth of our four-part series on the church. And uh, today's message is entitled, Expand the Church. We started the series with a message entitled, Understand the Church. The next message was, Love the Church. Last week, Corey did a great job, Build the Church. And now today, part four, Expand the Church. Why Danny Jones and who is Danny Jones? If you're a guest, you probably have not heard of him or seen him. And uh, Danny is the man that trained me in pastoral ministry. He and his wife, Melody, who is accompanying him today, really cared for Desiree and me when we first arrived in Orlando, uh, I, I think it's 14 years ago this summer. And after about a year and a half at the church there in Orlando, Metro Life, then they sent us to Miami to plant this church, to extend the church. And over these last 13 years that we've been in existence, almost 13 years, um, they have provided care for us as a couple. They have often come, especially in the early years, and helped us with some just key decisions we made as a church, raising up leaders, strategic moves. And then probably about seven years ago, Danny and I had the privilege to begin to serve churches in Cuba. And uh, I, I have the, the privilege of, of going with him and serving him and translating for him as he cares for churches and helps them to think through the implications of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, the gospel, those implications for building a church in Cuba. And now, just recently, we sent a team, as you know, to the Dominican Republic, and Danny is very involved in helping those men as they ask us to just serve them. Okay, so that's Danny Jones, really, on what he does. Danny Jones, as my friend, uh, I could spend all morning. He is probably one of the most faithful, encouraging, wise, and discerning men that I know. He's an incredible gift to me, and now he's going to be an incredible gift to you. So would you please welcome Danny Jones as he shares God's word with us. It is great to be here. Um, we always enjoy being with the church here. Just so many smiling faces, folks we've known over the years, some of you that we're getting to know for the first time have just met this morning. Uh, what, a, what a joy it is for my wife and I to be here, have our youngest son with us this, this trip, Abbott. He's 17, soon to be 18 in just a few days, just graduated from high school, and he's our, our last child to complete high school, and so all of our kids now think they're totally independent and self-sufficient. So uh, that's actually great because they leave, and that means I get Melody to myself. And uh, I tell you what, I don't know if you've heard any bad things about the empty nest. Uh, whoever's telling you it's a bad thing, they're lying to you, all right? Either that or they have not been dating their wife. Uh, throughout the marriage, because um, when the kids leave, well, let me just say it's great. 
And when they're there, it's great. And we also have two married children who uh, bring the grandchildren home. We have six grandchildren, and they keep us busy, and we just have uh, a wonderful time when they're there, and we're just... All of this is not to any of our credit at all. It really is the fruit of the gospel. What uh, Al was just mentioning, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ, it's the fruit of what he's done for us that's given us uh, not just a relationship with him that is really more than enough, but then a marriage that's unbelievably wonderful. That doesn't mean it's perfect. doesn't mean it's carefree. doesn't mean it's problem-free. You have to do is ask my wife how difficult it is to live with a sinner like me. Um, it, it's, it's a challenge. I'm amazed that she has stayed with me all these years. Uh, so it's not, not about it being all together and doing everything right. But there is a quality that the, that the gospel brings to a marriage that makes it supernaturally wonderful. It's not about you and how well you communicate and how well you do all the things you're supposed to do. It's, it's about how God, by His Spirit, excuse me, by His Spirit, um, does what you can't do. And the same thing with parenting. You know, our, our children will be the first to tell you they're, they're not perfect, they don't have it all together. But to see the gospel fruit in your children's lives as they grow up is just, again, uh, unspeakably wonderful. And then our oldest grandchild, who is eight, just coming to that place of understanding her need for the gospel and responding to that and asking those hard questions about her relationship with God and what does she do with her sin and, and how does she deal with her failure and her weakness and, and to, to be able to share that hope of the gospel with her. Um, you know, the Christian life is glorious. It's not easy. Please don't hear that. It's, it's full of adversity and difficulties, the, the kinds of things that, that really cause people in the world to fall apart and, and some of them sadly will kill themselves or they will, they will try to bury their, their, their sorrows in, in alcohol and drugs or other kinds of pleasures. I'm talking about a life that's supernaturally natural, supernaturally wonderful, and it's all because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Um, it's especially good to be here with you because um, you are just a joy to us throughout the entire southern region. The, all of the churches in the south that I have the privilege of working with and, and serving Sovereign Grace Ministries to, to care for and to serve any way I can. Uh, this church, and I've told you this many times, if you're new to us, um, you'll, you'll be hearing this for the first time. If, if you've been around for a while, this is old stuff for you. But it's still true. I still regularly hear reports of your impact, your influence on the other churches, the joy that you are to them, the effect that your life has on them when you're together for various events, whether it be trips or conferences or just individuals, different ones when you'll visit the other churches on vacations or different times of being with them. Just to hear the impact. I hear it regularly. And I want you to know that brings me great joy. You are a loved church in this region, and we're grateful for the, the, the light, the gospel light that's shining through you. So I, I'm full of gratefulness today. Um, what Al shared, uh, the, the key part of what he shared is our friendship. Um, those of you that know us know that we couldn't be more different. Uh, and, and it's not just because he's good looking and I'm not. It, it, you know, just ask him, he'll tell you. Um, uh, 
if, if it was up to us in the natural, I'm not sure Al would ever want to hang out with me. But again, because of what God's done for us, we have this incredible privilege of co-laboring in Christ together. And, and I was asking Al because I lose track of time, but the church was planted in 1997. And to think of all that's been accomplished in these years and to see you and to see how your life has changed and see what God has done for you. It's just, it's just glorious. It's wonderful. It's magnificent. And we boast in the Lord. We give Him all the credit, all the glory. But we are very, very grateful. Um, I got to meet Jason Stubblefield and very excited uh, about his way, new way of serving the church here. And, and the first thing Jason said to me was, thank you so much for your investment in planting this church because of the way this church is affecting him and his life and his marriage. Well, he's one of those guys. You are, most all of you, are those folks that we just dreamed about. You were nameless faces. You were just those that we desired to share the gospel with. And here you are in the context of a local church, enjoying the goodness of God, enjoying the fruit of the gospel, enjoying what God intended our life to be together as believers in a fallen world, still dealing with our sin, and yet enjoying His kingdom here on earth. And so, for these reasons, uh, we just find ourselves coming here. And uh, You know, when I go to the other churches, I don't get kissed like I get hit, kissed here. <laughs> Um, in fact, I'm not sure it's even allowed anywhere else. <laughs> but, but I love the hugs and I love the kisses and I love, I love the warmth and, and, and the joy and the enthusiasm. You are a blessing to us. Um, I'd, I'd like to pray. We're, we're just, so this morning's going to be a little different. If you're visiting with us this morning or you, you're new to the church, um, this morning won't be a, kind of the typical way we would just really spend time just in Scripture. Um, really mining the depths of a passage of Scripture or a theological topic that will enrich our understanding of of the call of God in our life. But this morning we're just going to spend a few moments on on a short passage of Scripture and and kind of put that in the context of what we do as churches in the area of of planting churches and, and tie that into why we are sending Jose... Uh, to the pastor's college. So let's pray and just ask the Lord to really bless this time this morning. Father, thank you so much for your goodness toward us. Thank you for making today possible. Father, we do give you all the credit. And it's, it's not that we haven't desired to be faithful and work hard. But, but this is not about what we've done. We're experiencing what you've done. And we glory in that. We rejoice in that. We thank you for it. And Lord, we especially thank you for the Word of God that trains us and guides us and reveals truth to us. That we know what to do. That we have answers to our questions. So Father, we pray that today that you would just make it clearer than ever the mission you called us to in the area of planting churches. We ask in Jesus' name. Would you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 16? Acts 16. 
I don't know if this microphone is distracting you guys at all. If you want me to use the handheld, I can. It's totally up to you. What would you prefer? Thank you for asking. Testing one, testing one, two. A little loud. There we go. We could turn it down a little bit for your sake. I actually have kind of a built-in amplifier, so this is more just for the sake of recording than it is amplification. Acts 16. Um, just to give you a little history, uh, me personally, when I uh, came to Christ, I was a young child, young boy, that um, was raised in the church. My, my dad was in the Navy, so we moved every six months, sometimes, uh, well, usually every two years, but sometimes every six months. So really from one side of the country to the other during my childhood, we, we lived all over the place. And, and the, the effect that had on me was, and I really respect my parents for this, but when my dad would be, would be assigned to an, another base, uh, we'd hit the city, and the first thing mom and dad would do was find a local church. And because they knew that they were only going to be there for a short time, the, as soon as they found the church and, and saw that that church was a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, they would sit down with the pastor and say, look, we're going to be here for this amount of time. Uh, we want to serve. We want to be involved in, in any way that you trust us to or any way that you need. Is there something that we can do? And so typically my dad would very quickly become a deacon. <laughs> he would find some area of responsibility that, that uh, there was always a need to serve. And so he'd find And my mom, uh, being very musical, she would just begin to serve and she'd usually end up being the choir director because there was just always a need for a choir director. So um, we just would jump in, and it taught me to make friends quickly. Uh, I didn't have the, um, the privilege or the, uh, the opportunity to just, you know, wait to get to know people, because by the time I got to know them, we'd be leaving. So it was get to know people quickly, uh, reach out quickly, learn how to make friends quickly. But I remember, as a boy... And especially once I came to Christ and, and I put my faith in Christ as my Lord and Savior, I remember as we studied Scripture, read Scripture, I can remember especially reading the book of Acts all through my teen years and reading this, and even college years, reading this and seeing this huge gap between what I was reading and what I was experiencing in the church. And again, not growing up in one church, it was all these different churches Frankly, I, I became somewhat disillusioned because it just seemed like there was, there was a huge difference. And I so wanted this rather than so much of what I had seen and experienced. In fact, um, because of my pride and arrogance, there is also self-righteousness and, and, and un uncharitable judgment involved in all this as a, as a foolish young boy uh, to where, you know, thinking I knew better or whatnot, but... Also experiencing um, some of the problems, church splits and pastors that were unfaithful and a variety of things that I really came to a place, uh, having gotten out of college, where I did not, I loved the church, I loved the Savior, loved his church, uh, wanted to be involved and was serving, but I, I, I had been kind of told all my life, you're going to be a pastor, and I was like, I am not going to be a pastor. Um, my wife, Melody, when I met her, she had had a similar background in different churches and a different denomination. And one of the things that Melody and I had in common when we met is that I didn't want to be a pastor and she didn't want to marry one. <laughs> I was a real estate appraiser. I was fine to, 
to, to make my living and then serve the local church just in an unhindered way. Love that. Melody did as well. Melody did as well. Um, so about a year and a half, I guess, after we were married, um, a very unique, uh, specific experience uh, where the Spirit of God made it clear to me that he had called me to be a pastor. Um, I was not very happy about this. In fact, it was a couple of weeks before I even told Melody because I knew she wasn't going to be very happy about it. And when I told her, uh, I was right. Um, <laughs> and the reason why is because we had such a bad example. And because there was such a huge gap between what we were experiencing and what we read in Scripture. And I say all that to say that I came into Sovereign Grace Ministries with kind of a jaded perspective. I had had bad experiences that, that made me look at this and kind of think, this is just pie in the sky. This is just history. This is just, you know, maybe the way some people talk about, but it's just not real. So when I began to hear what drew me to Sovereign Grace Ministries, when I, when I heard the, the desire for authentic New Testament Christianity and living our lives, not just simply you know, building buildings or congregations or you know, writing books or making a name for yourself, a lot of the things we'd experienced in churches, but living the life that the most important part of our life is, is what we're like when no one's around. Not, not what you look like here, but when, when there's nobody around. It, the most important part is, is what you're thinking when nobody knows what you're thinking. It's, it's what you do with temptation and what you do with sin, how you deal with sin, that that's what matters. It's, it's the, the relationship with God, the, the life-giving resource that scripture is to us and, and the reality, the personal reality. So this drew us and since becoming a part of Sovereign Grace Ministries in 1987 as a church there in Orlando, I want you to know, and again, this is not to say Sovereign Grace is better than any other group of churches or denomination or anything, but I just want you to know our experience has been completely different than the way we grew up. And it doesn't mean we haven't had problems. It doesn't mean that we haven't faced all kinds of difficulties. But what we've experienced in these years has been so much closer to Scripture than we ever dreamed was even possible. And so really for us, these last 20 years, um, plus actually next year, 2010, as a church in Orlando, we're going to celebrate our 25th anniversary, which we're just like, I'm too young for this. You know, it just... Can I be that old, you know? But um, the, the, the reality that what God's done for us all these years has really been nothing less than just one prayer answered after another, one dream fulfilled after another. And as I was saying earlier, this church is one of those dreams fulfilled. And that's why it's so special for us to be here. This particular passage, these few verses in Acts 16 kind of describe, and in really in amazing detail, and I'll show you in this one section here, our experience as a family of churches in this area of church planting. And this is what I want to draw your attention to, again, is not us, 
but how God's been faithful to, to give us a biblical experience. It, it also, this passage just kind of defines for us what, what church, planning a church looks like. And I'm only going to be able to uh, take a few of the verses, just the first ten verses, but really as you continue through um, this chapter especially, there's just so many similarities to the exact things we're experiencing today. Let me give you an example. We'll start at verse 1 of Acts 16. Paul came to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. And, and, and this really does, again, give us a model example and describe how our churches work, how this church work. work. We, we desire, every one of us, to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that men, as they give themselves faithfully to the Lord Jesus Christ, become men that are well spoken of. They become men of integrity, men that can be trusted, men that can be given responsibility and can serve in the local church. And so that's really what's happening here. Uh, we, we see the, the example here for us. In verse 3, it says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and, and come with him. And this, again, is our method on a, on a variety of ways. As, as I was saying, when we go to Cuba, rarely will we ever go by ourselves. We take brothers with us. Uh, we accompany one another. If you remember when Todd Twining was here just um, a few weeks ago, he had Louis Seifert from the church with him, another brother who is gifted uh, prophetically. We, we, we accompany one another. We, we don't trust ourselves. We don't put ourselves out there as being kind of the big cheese or the answer man. We, 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 we want to serve uh, together. And that's why even in a local church, we, the leadership team is, is a, a plurality of men, not just individuals. It says he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in these places, or those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, it's real easy to just read through this. And if you remember just the chapter before the Jerusalem Council, the whole idea of circumcision was a big deal to the church. It was a real issue of controversy. And they had just settled in the last chapter that you didn't have to be circumcised. Now, Paul says, hey, Timothy faithful young man, want you to go along with me on this trip I'm going to take, this evangelistic journey. And hey, by the way, in order for you to go with me, I'm, I want to make sure you're circumcised. Now think about it. I ask you to go with me to Cuba, and I say, before, I mean, you know, just understand, understand the trust that Timothy had. Understand the potential controversy here and that they had just resolved this issue. But the reason why is because Paul is not having Timothy uh, circumcised um, as an issue of salvation or relationship with God. Instead, it was preferring these other brothers. Those that he was going to go to knew that his father was a Greek. Paul saw no problem with being flexible and sensitive to those who would struggle in this area. And so that this issue wasn't a hindrance to the ones they were going to be ministering to, he had Timothy go ahead and be circumcised. That's a heart of caring for people, a heart that goes beyond what's important to me or what matters to me or just some hanging on to a theological perspective. See the difference? This is grace. 
This is a love for the gospel, a love for the loss. And that's what's motivating these men. And I just want you to know, I really respect Timothy. <laughs> it's like, I'm not sure I would have wanted to go along with the process. But anyway, this says, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So they're conveying um, these uh, decisions that have been made. They're they're communicating. uh, The the churches are fellowshipping together. Verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And here we see the fruit of an effective, grace-oriented, gospel-centered leadership. And that's what we believe a New Testament church, a local church, should produce. Churches do grow numerically, not because we're sending in our, our attendance sheets to somewhere to impress anybody, but we know that the, the natural, the normal result of the gospel being faithfully preached is that people are going to come to Christ. People are going to hear the gospel. They're going to respond to the gospel. And that's not just being preached in a building like this. It's you preaching the gospel to yourself every day and you preaching the gospel to others every opportunity. I'm so glad you are going through the proclaimed course. We just did that as a church, and it has had a profound effect on our church. I just want to encourage you, if you haven't been to these, these classes, or if you're thinking, you know what, I'm not sure I'll go, please let me encourage you to see the importance of how, how valuable this is. It, it really has changed the way Metro Life Church is functioning right now. We are seeing more fruit in evangelism. So many more individuals have the confidence to to recognize opportunities to share their faith and actually be able to effectively share their faith than we've ever seen in the life of our church. And we're grateful for that. So please take advantage of this opportunity. Now, in verse 6, let me just ask you to dream with me a little bit. Let your heart be stirred as you you see the spread of the gospel through church planning. Verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, we can read that and think, oh, good history. Yeah, he's going from here to there, the other. We can just blow by and miss something really significant here that affects our lives and certainly affects church planning. Notice in verse 6 and then following, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Can you imagine? Come on, think about that. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God in Asia? How absurd. How can it be wrong to preach the gospel in Asia? And then it goes on to say the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to, to, go, to go to Bith, Bithynia like they had attempted to. And passed by Mysia, and they end up going to Troas. Well, what's up with the Holy Spirit forbidding them to speak the word and the Spirit of Jesus not allowing them to go to people that needed to hear the gospel? That may not sound like the God that you know or that you serve. You may not like this God. You may not like a God that tells you no on things that you think are fine. 
or things that you have a real vision for or you have a passion for and you so desire. And God prevents and interferes and forbids the things that are so dear to you. What I want you to see here is the sovereign control and guidance of the Holy Spirit in church planning. You might wonder sometimes, as if you've been a part of Sovereign Grace for a while and you hear about the different churches that are being planted or adopted around the United States, around the world, you might wonder, why does Sovereign Grace choose to plant a city, uh, a church in this city and not that one? Or maybe there's a nation that's in your heart and you're just really tempted with, why, why isn't Sovereign Grace involved in the nation that's on my heart? I want it so bad, and I'm praying for it. What's wrong with those guys? Why won't they go there? And sometimes we can be tempted. Oh, well, maybe it's this. We can even develop conspiracy theories <laughs> as to why they don't want to do this and why they don't want to do that. It could be that you just wonder, well, who makes those decisions? How, how is that all determined? And wonder, you know, who's got the power to make those decisions? And, and who are these guys? And we, we can really wonder at times. And I just want you to know something. This may or may not comfort you. The answer to why we plant in certain cities or go to certain nations is as much a surprise to us as it is you. What that means is, we don't know. It's not our initiative. We don't have a 40-year plan, a strategic plan to reach the world. Do we want to reach the world? Absolutely. I can't think of a city in the world that I won't, don't want folks at least have the opportunity that you have here. There's not a community, there's not a people group, not even in those that we would perhaps consider our enemies, that I don't want them to have what you're enjoying here. There's no one that I can think of, no matter what they've done to me, that I don't want them to hear the gospel, or that I'm hoping that they'll go to hell. No one. So the decisions are made by the Holy Spirit. And it's our job to not initiate it as much as it is to follow him. And so when you hear about a church being planted, or you hear about a nation being reached, perhaps you've been praying for the Dominican Republic for a long time. We have too. But there's been no opportunity. Now it seems like in the last few years, out of nowhere... These amazing churches that are serving so well, and we can't understand why, I mean, as much success as they're having in their cities, why they're now calling us and saying, would you please come and help us? But it's an answer to prayer for us, something that we couldn't make happen before that now God is doing. We're surprised. We're grateful. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. Leading. Why? Because Christ is the head of the church. We have local elders here that serve this church by leading. But they're not the head of the church. 
Al Pino is not the head of this church. I'm not, even though I'm the senior pastor, I'm not the head of Metro Life Church. Christ is the head of the church. Al serves the church in a specific way as a senior pastor. But the sound guys are serving this morning too. And the musicians were serving this morning. The ushers are serving. Right now, we have folks that are teaching our children they're serving. We all serve in different ways. Some of you have served this, this week in, in total obscurity by just intercessory prayer. Is that any less important than what I'm doing right now? Absolutely not. We are serving in the way God's called us and gifted to serve. I can't do what Miguel does. I can't sing like him. I can't write songs like him. I can't play the instrument like him. I can't put together a band like him. If I was leading the worship, we would, it'd be awful. And you might say, well, how are you able to speak like you are? I don't know. I didn't practice this. I didn't work on it. I don't know why I'm able to share my heart with you. That's something God's done. I can't take any credit for it. And so we look at this and we realize, you know, the Lord, he leads us. He also forbids us. He also interferes with our plans. You see, an answer to the question is not yes all the time. Sometimes we say, well, God just won't answer my prayer. And really all we're saying is God won't let me do what I want to do. Because an answer can be no, can it? Oh, the Lord just did not give me the child that I desired. The Lord did not give me the, the job I desired. The Lord did give me the house I desired. No, he, well, he didn't give you what you wanted, but he did answer your prayer. He said no. That's an answer. Don't accuse him of not answering. Sometimes God says maybe. Or wait. That's an answer. Some of you as singles, you want to be married. You want to have children. You see those around you enjoying married life. Sometimes you see there's conflicts and you're kind of glad you're not married. But you, you want to have a child. And sometimes you see the messes children make and you're kind of glad you don't. But... It's, Lord, Lord, I, I want this, and I'm asking for this. He, it's not that he hasn't answered. He's obviously said, obviously said to wait. Now, is there a gift of being single? Yes. But when, when you have the gift, you know it. <laughs> it's not like, I really, really, really want to mar get married until I'm 60, and then I realize, no, I have the gift of singleness. No, the, 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 being single is a precious gift of God. And we should highly esteem it. And church, let's make sure that we don't harass singles for not being married. Because we don't know God's will for their life. You know what I'm talking about? Let's not make it miserable for them to be in a church that's full of families. Let's esteem them for their role, their place in this local church. But God says yes. He says no. He says maybe. He says wait. Christ is the head of the church. We are called to serve him. We are called to do his will. This is not about us. We're called to follow him. We're called to obey him. And as we as a church are called to obey Christ, you also are called as a church to obey your elders, obey the leadership team of this church. Now, in our culture, that's a scary thing. It's dangerous. And I just want you to know, the only reason I can with 
without even flinching or hesitating, say that it's biblical for you as a member of this church, if you are a member, to obey and follow the leaders of this church. The reason I can say that without hesitation is because these men who have been called to serve the church by leading are commissioned to only do what the Father says to do. This is not their church. What we're doing as a church is not their agenda and their preference. The Holy Spirit, as we're seeing even here, the Holy Spirit leads and guides and says go and says don't go. And we can head a direction and think we're on the right track and he can forbid us. Why? Because he's Lord. And the reason we can say that that's what the elders are called to do is because that's what Jesus Christ did when he was on earth. The Bible is very clear. He, he, he made it known to those around him, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Now, if that's what Jesus does, then certainly that's our model and example. So look at verse 9. Look at Paul's response to the Holy Spirit's leadership. So their intro asks, they really don't know where to go. All they've been told is no. They're traveling. <laughs> don't go there. Obviously can't go there. I mean, there'd be a, a, probably a, a lot of different reasons how that actually played out, which we don't have a record of. But it was obvious, don't go there. Don't do this. Don't invest in that area for now. And so what happens? Verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And God does lead this way sometimes. It's not normal. You don't see it happening all the time, but it does happen. And when it does, it's wonderful. A man of Macedonia was standing there. Macedonia being a totally different direction than the way they were headed. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Just like the brothers from DR are doing. Just like the brothers from Cuba have done. That's, that's just a, an amazing thing that that there's that desire, please come help us. But notice, notice Paul's response. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, this is the English Standard Version, immediately, he said, we sought to go on into Macedonia. Instant response, immediate obedience. Why? Because they concluded. Now again, they're like us. They don't always have it all lined out. It's not always really clear what God wants for them. But they concluded from the forbidding and from the vision, they concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel to those in Macedonia. Let me just say, in a, just a few short verses, this is our experience as well. Our motivation is to preach the gospel. But we've had very similar experiences over the years. A couple of quick examples. One of the first churches that we had the privilege of planting out of Orlando was uh, in the Tampa St. Pete area. And we, from doing all our demographic studies and trying to be faithful in the little things, we had really pretty well concluded we're going to plant a church in Tampa. And then perhaps from there, go to Clearwater, go to St. Pete, go you know, south to Sarasota, Bradenton. That was kind of the strategic plan from our perspective. Nothing wrong with that. We're the best that we knew to do with, but we actually go to Tampa, we're literally driving around, and there was this same sense of, no, not here. We talked to some of the pastors in the area, uh, that we were being welcomed to come into the area. No, 
there was a brother living in St. Pete who had been studying Sovereign Grace Ministries and, and had actually contacted uh, Covenant Life and said, is there any chance you guys would be willing to plant a church in St. Pete? And so having, you know, just the sense of, no, Tampa doesn't seem to be it, we went down to visit this brother. And from our visit with him, it became very clear. We're, we're driving around the streets of St. Pete. And the Lord just made it so clear, that, that strong inner witness. This is where you're to plant. There is a vibrant New Testament church of St. Pete today. We thought we were, we still haven't been able to plant in Tampa. We want to. We haven't changed at all. Instead, the next church plant out of that church was to Sarasota. Surprise, surprise. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was leading. Another example was Phil Corson, who was also in Orlando, part of our leadership team for seven years, sent out to plant a church. There were several years that we really sensed he had a call in his life to plant a church. Paul, um, Phil and Kay both. Kay had grown up in Tallahassee. Phil was a die-hard Seminole fan. He wanted to reach the city of Tallahassee. We were going to plant a church in Tallahassee. We go to Tallahassee, nothing. Nothing, nothing. Where did he end up? Gainesville. <laughs> when Phil and Kay first started going out to eat and whatnot in Gainesville, they would wear their Seminole shirts just to ruin everybody's meal at any restaurant that they went to. Now they're diehard Gator fans. But anyway, you know, in the natural, I mean, even, I mean, it's just like God has a sense of humor. I mean, you know. The last place Phil would want to plant a church is Gainesville. There is a thriving church in Gainesville as the result of the specific direction of the Holy Spirit. This is our experience. In Orlando, we, we desired, we had a large group of people that coming from the way on the west side of Orlando, driving 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes to be a part of Metro. And uh, actually, when we built our facility, we were moving away from them geographically and just had a real heart to plant there. It was 10 years before the Lord allowed us to plant the church in Winter Garden, which was planted three years ago. Now there's a thriving church there. Why did it take so long? I don't know. That's not my call. I'm not the big cheese. I'm not, I'm not the top dog. I'm a servant. You're a servant. We're called to follow. And the, the glorious thing is that when, when you do follow and then you see how God leads, you look back and go, oh, yes. That was so wise. Thank you so much. Let me ask you just briefly. Does it offend you? When God says no, I'm tempted. I don't like it. I like yes. I don't mind wait too much because that means it means probably. My children, anything other than no means yes. So if they say something to you and you don't respond or you don't say absolutely not, then you find out weeks later, oh, we talked about it and you said I could. I'm that way with God, too. I only want to hear yes. The reality is, the Lord is our shepherd. He is leading us through green pastures. So, why are we sending Jose Prado to the pastor's college? 
I mean, aren't there other men here that we could send? I mean, come on. Is he like in the top ten choices of <laughs> most likely to succeed? I mean, honestly, can't, can't we in our view of things look around and kind of wonder what's God doing? Now, if you know him well, if you have a relationship with him, you're probably thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, he's the man. But if you don't, or if you're new to the church, kind of wonder, you know, is he like butting up to the pastors? And so, you know, he washes their cars and stuff. And so, <laughs> kind of worked his way up. We're sending Jose Prado to the pastor's college because we're obeying God. Which takes all the pressure off Jose to perform. We had a wonderful time with Jose and Kristen, um, uh, Corey and Cindy uh, at the Smidgen's home Friday night. And did I say that right? Christine, I, I knew something was wrong, and they're looking at me, but they're not giving me any indication. But I felt it. It was in the air. Melody's eyes are blazing. I've already been corrected on how to spell her name, so now it's how to pronounce it. Christine, All right. We, we had this wonderful time of just honoring them, praying for them, prophesying over them. And it just became so clear. The sweetness of the Holy Spirit. God is pleased with what the church is doing in sending them to the pastor's college. We have no other explanation for it. Now, do we have some hopes for what... When he comes back, he can do here in this area? Absolutely. I mean, we don't just sit around and go, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, we, we have strategic planning. We, we work on this hard. Do we know exactly how it's going to work out? Absolutely not. But because it's the Lord, Jose doesn't have to go to the pastor's college and perform to make you guys look good. Or to, he doesn't have to work hard to try to get really good grades so that, you know, Al and, and Corey are glad that they sent him or that we'll think highly of him. It, it, you know, in one sense, it doesn't really matter what we think of him. What matters is what God thinks of him. And the future is about how the Holy Spirit's going to lead. Now, you've been a part of this process. The whole time uh, Jose and Christina have been here in, in this church, you have been an, an aggressive, active part of them being prepared for this moment. So I'm here to say thank you. That's being the church. That's the fruit of community. That is the kingdom of God. Showing God's glory. And, and they're the first ones to tell you and thank you. But what we're doing is simply agreeing with the Holy Spirit. And so in these final few moments this morning, we want to just take some time to pray for them. You're going to have time this afternoon to share with them. I would highly encourage you at the picnic this afternoon to, to make, make a point to go to them and share at least one specific evidence of grace that you see in their life 
or one specific way that they have affected you, hopefully in a way that they wouldn't even be aware of. Just let them see through your eyes the grace of God on their life. Not to flatter them, not to build them up, but to encourage them. I mean, yes, to build them up, uh, but not to build up their pride, but um, to, to encourage them and to build them up and strengthen them so that they can go to the PC without any sense of performance. Instead, they're obeying God. And we respect them for going. It's not easy to pack everything up. We were talking to Christine, and, and um, she, she's, she's never seen snow. She's going to freeze. <laughs> Gaithersburg is a wilderness from a weather standpoint. Why, why be willing to do this? Well, they're doing the same thing we're doing. We're just obeying the Lord. And there's great peace in that.